Hello and welcome to Finding Faith and Development, brought to you by Tearfund, a Christian relief and development agency working in over 40 countries across the world. This is a podcast of storytelling and conversation as we explore different areas of development through the lens of faith, drawing on a wealth of incredible people who will share their learning and knowledge with us. In this first episode, we look at the theme of peace building. We speak with Mariam Tadros and David Cousins, who lead our peace building work here at Tear Fund, and hear from inspiring peace builders around the world who are part of our networks. In this mini-series, we'll be exploring three concepts which inform how we understand and practice peace building in our work. These are moral imagination, hospitality, and embrace. David, Mariam, welcome to the first episode of Finding Faith and Development. It's a delight to have you here. You've been working together leading our peace building work for the last four and a half years and you each bring something really unique to the space. I think our listeners would be interested to hear a bit about how you came to this work. Mariam, do you want to start by telling us a bit about your background and how it's influenced your interest in today's topic of peace building? Thanks Alice. So I started my journey into peace building in a bit of a roundabout way uh, where I was studying uh, theology and religious studies at university. And in my third year of studies, I went on a trip to the Holy Land, so to Israel-Palestine. And uh, as much as it was kind of a pilgrimage, historical trip, it was really my first time to experience oppression and occupation uh, firsthand. And um, it was a 10-day trip, but it just left an incredible mark on me. I then finished my, my BA and went on to study um, further uh, at university and began to really look at... Uh, what a concept known as liberation theology, which really looks at uh, how to reclaim the gospel for the poor. And as part of that, uh, I then went out and spent uh, six months living in the Holy Land. And that was my real entry point into work for justice. I was working as an intern at a non-violence organisation, a faith-based non-violence organisation. We were out protesting every week. We were stopping uh, bulldozers from destroying homes. Uh, and it was a real baptism of fire into the kind of fight for justice and um, yeah bringing some kind of relief in some ways in a very kind of bleak uh, situation Um, and it was my first time to really immerse into that kind of uh, space. Uh, I'd also uh, in my own life personally kind of at that point gone through various experiences of uh, grief and injustice with people around me and my own family And so those things were beginning to merge a little bit. Uh, And then after that, I fell into work at Tear Fund. Uh, I'd always planned to go back into academia and kind of teach and into the education space. And then found myself working as a temp uh, during the time of the Haiti earthquake uh, here in the building for six months, left for a little while, came back again. um, And alongside that, whilst I was kind of immersing into much more of the humanitarian side uh, in my own time, I was also beginning to explore my own heritage, I was spending time volunteering um, in some of the poorest parts of Egypt, and again just seeing the injustice of inequality. Um, And that mixed with my experience in kind of Palestine and Israel uh, really began to just birth something in me that was around what it looks like to build peace. And through that whole time, I think over the last 10 years really, uh, what's always inspired me and has kind of drawn me has been the people in the middle of that. Uh, you know, the fight for justice is almost futile sometimes, and it feels like that. 
and it feels like you're making very little progress but there are these people at the heart of it who just have this incredible ability to see something different and commit their whole lives uh, to even if it's in their small village uh, to making life just a little bit better for those who are living either in 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 equality or uh, living under um, oppression of some sorts uh, so yeah over the last 10 years been exploring that and especially over the last four and a half um, having been uh, quite heavily involved in tier funds humanitarian programs um, then coming uh, back and uh, being given the opportunity to really set up the peace building work here at tier funds where historically we've done bits and pieces but we've never intentionally uh, really looked at what it means to uh, to build peace when working in areas of conflict so yeah so it's been a, a journey uh, and one of discovery and one of meeting incredible humans uh, and one of frustration and figuring out how you really uh, try to affect uh, sometimes what feels like uh, unbreakable situations. Um, David, moving on to you, what's your journey been to peace building work? Um, I guess my story is um, somewhat different to, uh, to Mariam's. Um, I joined Tier Fund after um, 30 years in um, the British Army and uh, pretty much directly from a nine-month tour with the NATO headquarters in um, Afghanistan. Um, and so I was there um, in Kabul, um, hiding behind great big concrete walls. Um, and I was, work I was struck by the fact we, I was working with some really, really bright people, some really intelligent people. Um, and people who genuinely were trying to do what they thought was best for Afghanistan, to help the country, to help the people. Um, so you had a combination of really bright people, good intentions, perhaps misguided intentions, but good intentions, and huge amounts of resource. I mean, I seem to recall we had a jumbo jet flying in each day with food just for our headquarters. Um, ludicrous, but just massive, massive amounts of, of resource. Um, and yet I looked at all of that, bright people, good intentions, huge access to resources, and just questioned the impact we were having. And the impact was, was minimal. Um, you know, you can coerce people to do a certain amount of stuff, but actually nothing changes. Um, and so I found myself sitting there, um, reading also at the time um, uh, a lot of books by John Paul Lederach, who is a... Um, Comes from a, he's a, a um, practitioner, a peace builder, comes from a Mennonite background, so very much a pacifist background. I was reading quite a lot of um, Henri Nouwen um, at the time as well. And as I read those, it just seemed to make so much more sense than what I was seeing around me. Um, and so that just got me questioning. And then I, I left, joined Tear Fund, and I remember sitting in, um, in Kigali and very fortunate to listen the testimonies of um, of people from their experiences from the genocide and I remember seeing one woman and she was sitting next to this man and this woman had a, a she had a she was missing in her hand she had a big scar on her head and at one point she just sort of pulled the shoulder of her, her dress down to reveal a huge scar on her shoulder um, and she was a survivor of the genocide and the man next to her was the man who had not only killed a number of members of her family, but who had, had chased her. Um, she said, chased like dogs. Um, 
and had, had he wasn't actually the one that that, that, that had um, thrust a spear into her shoulder, but it, he was one of the main perpetrators, and yet they were sitting there next to each other, and they were reconciled with each other. There had been a real process of forgiveness. It wasn't easy, it was difficult, and it was long, and it was painful, but they sat there reconciled, and I just contrasted those two two situations, and I think building peace has to start at the level of people. And there is stuff top-down that needs to happen as well. You need to address some structural things. But you've got to recognise that conflict ultimately is about human beings and the decisions they make and the way they respond, whether that's out of fear or hatred or whatever. And so we need to work at that level of, of individual human beings um, yes, address the top sort of the top-down stuff, the structural stuff as well, but never forget it's about human beings. Both of you obviously have a deep passion for peace building. I wonder if you could tell us why you think peace building is so key to development. I think from from what I've seen, the development world, the humanitarian world, uh, has spent decades trying to figure out what the most effective uh, responses both to you know at Tearfund we have a focus on on extreme poverty uh, to economic inequality to advocacy and policy change we seem to have missed the trick and I think as David was just saying that human relationships and you know at Tearfund this is at the very heart of our theory of poverty that human relationships if they are broken you're not going to get anywhere and we are seeing now across the globe the largest number of intrastate and interstate wars and conflicts. And if we're not addressing what's at the very heart of that, what's at the root of those conflicts, all the development and humanitarian work is either going to be constant and never-ending uh, or is only going to reach a certain level. And so for me, that concept of building peace isn't just about the building peace in terms of stopping violence, that's a crucial part of it. But it's about finding the ground between us as human beings that allows us to live in the same space together uh, and share that space together. Um, so for me, it's, it's an essential part of any, uh, any f development work, uh, whether that's humanitarian or development work that we need to do. I think somebody once said that, that conflict is development in reverse. Um, and I think that you know, we see every time these conflicts flare up, so much of our development work is, un is undone. Um, and therefore, we have to go to a deeper level. It's not just about sort of addressing the, the results of, of that and, and that you, you need to do that. You need to mitigate the sort of the effects of conflict. But... If that's all you do, it's just going to rear its head up again. And therefore you have to focus on, I think, addressing those underlying issues, addressing the root causes of, of, of those tensions, and ultimately, as Mariam has said, addressing the... Um, uh, restoring those relationships, just like that, that couple in... Uh, those, those people in Rwanda, it's restoring those relationships that actually brings long-term peace, and that leads to long-term and sustainable development. Just, to add, just as David was speaking, you know, in, in peacebuilding theory, you have uh, three levels of response. You have your peacekeeping, which is your conflict mitigation. You have uh, your uh, your peacemaking, 
which is conflict resolution. It's very much that finding a resolution for a specific issue. And then you have peace building, which is really about transforming conflict. It's about transforming the very nature of what actually causes us to, to be at war or at conflict with one another. And that can be at the interpersonal level as well as at the state level as well. Thanks. And let me take you back um, after that overview of peace building and your passion in this area to four and a half years ago when you began to pioneer this work within Tear Fund. Often we'd start by developing a strategy, but I know that you chose a different approach and I'm really interested to unpack a bit more about that process that led to these concepts of moral imagination, hospitality and embrace underpinning everything that you've done since then. So Mariam, I know that you were there right at the beginning, so perhaps you could talk us through that process a bit more. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was a slightly unorthodox uh, process for the organisation, but it, we'd also been building on the experience of um, our, our section gender-based violence work that had gone kind of before us and was also in that emergent space and for us, what we really wanted to do, and, and you know, credit to our leadership for giving us the space as well, was we wanted to take time to really just live in and immerse ourselves in what it might look like for us as an organisation to do peace building. We could have jumped straight in and said, these are the things that we want to do. But we really wanted to understand what is the very foundation, uh, not just of peace building as a whole, but for us as Tear Fund as an organisation of what it might look like for us to work in this field. A recognition that we were new in the field and actually needed to take time to really understand where our space was. And also just to let, uh, through trialling, through piloting, through theological reflection, allowing our strategy to emerge uh, and to not be reliant on a strategy to help us figure that out, but to let it work itself out and then build a strategy based on that. So for the first six months, we had a time of Yep, building our theological framework, which was really, as a faith-based organisation for us, wasn't about, uh, we very much intentionally called it a framework because it wasn't about building a doctrine of what peace building in God's eyes is, but it was very much about putting some frame around what are the key um, faith-based theological ideas that we want to build this on. And as we explored that and as we talked with peace builders and experts in the field, out in the, out in the field, Really, these three concepts for us came up so strongly as essential parts of what it is both to be a peace builder and to do peace building. And that's where the moral imagination, hospitality and embrace really emerged quite quickly as three really key concepts that we could begin to frame ourselves around. From that, we then began to uh, meet various organisations, various peace builders in our field sites in various countries where we work. We began with a, a gathering of peace builders uh, from the Middle East that really for us was uh, a launching pad to really understand what it is as an organisation we could begin to do in some of these countries and some of the areas where we're working. And some really key things came out for us in that and I think one of the things that we've, both David and I, have really kind of committed to and built on is the idea that you have to put the peace builder at the centre of all of it. Uh, both the, the nurture, the character development, uh, the sustainability of a peace builder and really keeping that at the very heart of what we do as well as doing the projects and the work in the field as well. And so those three concepts are what we've used as a theological reflection and foundation uh, by which we kind of look at our peace building work. 
So I know, David, that you came into the process a little bit later, and I imagine talking about your background, having just come from Afghanistan and from perhaps uh, a more secular approach, how did this process appear to you? And walk us through a bit of your journey with that process. Well, I guess the um, a lot of the reading I was doing, and particularly the Henri Nouwen, um, he writes a lot about hospitality, and I think that that just struck a chord with me. And I think as a as an organisation, we were very much struck by Isaiah 61, which is is perhaps no surprise. The peacebuilding bit really focuses on the second part of that. And the Isaiah 61 is is um, that well-known passage which talks about um, binding up the brokenhearted, providing freedom for the captives, releasing people from darkness. Um, and I think as an organisation, we focused on those first three verses. But I was struck by the second half and verse four of that, which then goes on to say... Um, that, that those people, the ones that have been released from darkness, the ones that have, um, you know, the brokenhearted that have been bound up, um, released from darkness, that those people will become oaks of righteousness. And then it goes on and says, and they will rebuild, they will restore, and they will renew. And it just struck me that actually it's the people who suffered this that are the ones that God chooses to bring healing. It's the people embedded in experiencing living conflict in daily lives that are the people that God chooses to bring peace. Um, and so our role is very much about empowering them. I was going for a walk through the woods um, near where I live and I saw this oak tree that had been, I'm not sure what had happened to it, but it had just been ripped apart. It was just torn right down from the top to, to the roots and there's sort of great big scarred tree. And yet this tree was still alive, it was still living. And you could see within the sort of the, the scars of this, this, this torn apart tree, there were all sorts of bugs and things living and it had become a source of life for other animals in and around in those woods. And it just made me reflect that there is something about, there is something very powerful about when people who've lived through those experiences are prepared to be vulnerable and are prepared to share those scars, to show those scars, that somehow there is a space for healing that is created in that. Um, and therefore, for me, very much our approach to peace building is about empowering those people who, who've lived in it and encouraging and modelling ourselves, encouraging a willingness to be vulnerable. Because when we are, I think healing, there, there's a space for healing that happens there. You've both spoken about being inspired by people in the field. I wondered if you could give us an example of one person who has really inspired you and who perhaps embodies some of these concepts of embrace, hospitality, moral imagination, where you've seen it incarnated um, in people. As part of our first uh, gathering of, of uh, Middle East peace builders, we had about 45 people in that room from six different countries uh, across the region and each one kind of a peace builder in their own right and, and inspiring in their own way um, and uh, this this kind of links to my own personal story in that two people that were in the room uh, were our peace builders uh, from Egypt actually and um, I'd met them in my parallel life uh, probably about six years previously and they'd been working on development work uh, in Upper Egypt which is uh, where it's the highest levels of poverty in Egypt, but also the highest levels of sectarianism between Muslims and Christians in the country. 
And I remember at that gathering, uh, sitting under a tree, <laughs> funnily enough, uh, with them both. And they just had, uh, they're, they're a married couple, and they just had this incredible dream of the kind of spaces that they wanted to create in their society. And for me, I mean, it was so contagious um, but you couldn't, you, there was just something in it as I was listening to them share. And it was a dream that they'd carried for maybe 20, 30 years uh, in the time that they'd been doing development work. And their dream was that they could see in and amidst all the sectarianism, in and amidst all the conflict and the, um, the, the fighting and the inequality and the poverty, they just had this ability to see a different way. And that for me is where the, the, the moral imagination comes to life which is this ability in the midst of darkness to imagine something else and to make that dream turn into a reality for people. And so their dream really was to create spaces. They had no idea what it was going to look like, but to create spaces where young people uh, who were struggling with unemployment, who now, you know, drug addiction is at its highest it's ever been, who yeah, came perhaps from broken backgrounds, as Muslims and Christians never spent time together, they wanted to create spaces where they could bring people into a room and just spend time together and facilitate that space. And so a year after that, we were able to begin that project and it was such an emergent uh, programme. Uh, we've just we've just evaluated it. But what was so exciting about it was just that it was these two people's dream and they made it happen and we've seen some of the impact of that. First time for some young people, not just as Muslims and Christians, to be in the room together, but for girls and boys to be in the room together for more than a day, um, where people with people's reflections on their time was, I felt like I was in family, where we saw uh, Christians going to visit Muslims in their mosques and mo Muslims going to visit Christians in their churches. They've now started a arts club where they meet once every couple of weeks to watch a film together and then have a debrief where in the time that they're together in the workshops they explore ideas of conflict where they explore ideas of citizenship uh, so much has come out around trauma and you know as David was saying that shared storytelling space of being able to tell their stories even from their families where historically you wouldn't do that out loud and uh, you know it, it's a small thing but it's significant, and it all started, um, I think, two things. The ability to dream and imagine, and then having uh, an organisation that can come alongside you and allow that to come true um, and trust you uh, as you're doing, as you're going through that process as well. Thank you for sharing that story. David, you were inspired by many people. Um, tell us one story. I think one person that's that has inspired me is um, Diodone Nahimana from uh, Burundi. And his, his personal story, is, is, his testimony is, is amazing. And uh, I remember sitting um, over a very long dinner once in um, northeast Burundi as he, as he sort of both told his story and also his vision for what he was trying to do. And his story, his, his father had been murdered in a, a bout of sort of ethnic violence. Um, he had been given the opportunity, he was away at school in the, in the south of the country and his friends um, gathered up all the children that were of that, 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 that tribe, the same tribe as those that had, had killed his father and, and gave him the opportunity to kill those children. And um, 
he refused and he, he, he helped them to escape. And he then found himself um, living on the streets in the capital of Bujumbura. And then he managed to, he was taken in by a friend at university and he went through a process of, of deciding fairly on that he would forgive um, the killers of his family. And many years later he went back to, to the village where his, he was brought up and was handing out food supplies. There was a lot of hunger at the time in, in the villages there. And he, he says he just felt this tug on his shirt and he looked around and there were two children uh, and they said, please, can we have some food? And he realised that these two children were the children of the people who had killed his family. And he said, at that moment, forgiveness became real. In his mind, he had forgiven long, long before. And he said, at that moment, it became real. And he did, he gave them some food, and actually he's, um, he's funded their education ever since. Um, and so he's a man who models that forgiveness. But then sitting with him over dinner and just hearing him talk with real passion. And for him, he was saying he cannot see change in, happening in Burundi until you change the culture of leadership. And moving from a, a form of leadership that is exploitative, that is self-serving, to one that is, is based on sort of servant leadership, the sort of the model of Jesus in there. And he is working incredibly um, with young people developing a group of young leaders that model that and he can do that because of his personal story and that he actually models that he lives it out himself and so just seeing seeing people like that hugely inspiring for me we're going to be looking at each of these concepts in more depth over the coming weeks moral imagination hospitality and embrace uh, but just give us a taster as we end of how one of these concepts has influenced the way that your strategy has developed over the past few years. Well, I guess um, shortly after the peace building work started, TFM then, then it took on um, uh, root, uh, um, fragile states as, as one of our corporate priorities. And within that, a desire to address the root causes of that. So I've been heavily involved in, in sort of shaping some of that. And really our, our thinking about peace building, about those concepts of embrace, moral imagination and hospitality have massively influenced the way we've been thinking about that. So uh, as part of that work in, in fragile states, one of the things that we want countries to do is to embody, to model a sort of what we've called a fragile states DNA. So this sort of infuses and infects the whole way um, in which we work in, in, in in fragile states and that DNA is about um, being relational, it's about prioritising relationships, it's about being hospitable, it's about making people feel that they're valued, that they're welcome, no matter who they are, no matter where they've come from, they matter as individuals. It's about being willing to reach out and, and embrace people who are different, who may have different points of view, come from different perspectives, but making sure that they know that they're welcomed. It's about being creative. It's about imagining different ways of being. And it's about empowering people. And so that, that peace-building work has really influenced, I think, our wider work uh, on fragile states. Yeah, for me, what was coming to mind was uh, one of our programmes, actually, that I think, as we've developed it, has kind of tried to hold those three concepts. And I guess first to just say that, before we go into the uh, over the next episodes on, on the specifics of them, just to say that the three are so interconnected, the ability to start off by imagining a different way 
by seeing in the midst of conflict that there is possibility for something else. And once you begin to dream and imagine that, the ability to then hold space and invite the other into your space and hold them as they are within your space and to feel safe enough to do that. And then as you build that relationship, the ability to embrace one another and to move uh, into another way together uh, in relationship. And one of the ways I've seen that beginning to happen is uh, with our peace builders in Iraq, where we have a, a community of about 15 peace builders who come from uh, Muslim, uh, Sunni, Shia, Shabak backgrounds, uh, Christian and Yazidi, uh, all of whom should not be friends, <laughs> and um, uh, who over the last three years, three and a bit years, have been building this community together where we started off again at that beginning, that early gathering uh, in the first year of our strategy, uh, where most of them didn't know each other. They began to build relationships with one another. They began to form this small community of peace builders. We began to imagine together what peace building in their spaces could look like. Uh, we work in th three different areas, four different areas in Iraq. Um, and just their ability to see something that could be done together. So that for me was the beginning of kind of the imagination of what's possible. But then for me, one of the highlights was last March, actually, uh, one just gone where I was there and we were doing some conflict transformation training together. And I hadn't seen them for a little while, but then seeing this group of people in this room who had gone from not knowing each other to beginning to work together and at this moment, I could deeply see the friendship that they had with one another. And that, for me, was a real moment of there is something in this hospitable space of just being together, uh, doing stuff together, uh, and then actually being in relationship with one another. So visiting each other in their homes, turning up, uh, whether it's for times of joy or times of grief. Um, but there was a deep friendship amongst them, which was, for me, just an incredible moment of seeing how that journey can really kind of come to life. It's been such a privilege to share this space with you both this morning, and we're really looking forward to the next episodes, exploring each of these concepts in more depth. So thank you, Mariam. Thank you, David. This was the first episode of Finding Faith in Development. <laughs>